Hello there, you're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host. Today, we are speaking with Brandon Ferris, Vice President of Domestic Economic Policy at the National Association of Manufacturers. Before joining the NAM, Brandon was the head of federal government relations for the Chemors Company. Brandon also served as Assistant General Counsel for Arkema, as well as Senior Counsel for Government Relations for the Saudi Basic Industries Corporation. After serving in the Marine Corps Reserve, he began his career in Washington as a Bryce Harlow Foundation Fellow at the George Washington University School of Law while working at the U.S. House Agriculture Committee. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You began your work at the National Association of Manufacturers uh, no more than four months ago. Um, what are your goals for this role and uh, what strategies are you planning to implement on behalf of manufacturers? So one of the wonderful things is our membership. We have 14,000 members everywhere from the small, medium, all the way up to the largest manufacturers you can think of. And we are heavily member driven. So what I've been doing in the first three or four months here is just talking to as many members as possible and making sure we're capturing their priorities. We're, we're at a certain point in history right now where I handle the energy portfolio, the climate, chemicals, transportation, infrastructure, labor. So our policy division is nearly a one-stop shop for manufacturers and making sure that we're working on the things that matter most to our members. Your current campaign is to urge the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to maintain current annual particulate matter standards to reduce the burden on manufacturers. What are the NAM's specific concerns about the new EPA policy? One of my favorite things about the NAM is we are not an organization that just stands up on a chair and says, no, no, no. We're solutions driven. And so when we look at this, what we say is we're all in favor of cleaner air. And, and since the 1970s, we've reduced pollution, major pollutants by 75%. What we see here, though, is a regulation that goes too far makes too great of reductions without any offsetting benefits. So what we're asking for is EPA right now is a level of 12. There's a level of 12 for the particulate matter. Mm -hmm. EPA has proposed going all the way down to eight. And when you go down to eight, what you do is you put about 40% of the U.S. population in non-attainment. And why does that matter? If you live in a non-attainment zone, you can't build bridges, you can't build roads, you can't build manufacturing. So what we're asking EPA is if they go from 12 to 11, if they go from 12 to 10, they still work on cleaner air. They still give all of us the cleaner air that we need, as well as keeping those jobs. If they move this all the way down to where they're proposing, they're putting nearly a million jobs at risk and nearly 200 billion in economic activity. Um, is the emphasis in manufacturing already on market control and investment in new technologies enough to ward off these environmental concerns? So that's a great, th uh, great question. Uh, manufacturing innovates, and that's one of the reasons we're able to meet these continually uh, decreasing or continually increasing environmental controls. And so that is something that manufacturers have done a great job at. Uh, and yes, these new technologies will help us get there. That's the reason we have the concern is because the concern goes beyond the new technologies that are available now. And the concern goes beyond what you're able to achieve in a 
economically feasible manner. I know that I was speaking to um, someone who works with manufacturers, uh, not only in the U.S., Canada and Asia, but also in the EU. And uh, we were talking about um, their efforts. And uh, do you think we're behind or ahead of the EU in controlling uh, carbon emissions and reducing overall energy consumption? So I will I will piece that out in a couple of different ways. Um, one of the things that we have seen tremendous interest from is the IRA bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, and that put a lot of tax credits, that put a lot of money towards green industries. So clean hydrogen's a perfect example of this. And one of the things that we're hearing from our EU counterparts is we cannot compete with the incentives in the IRA because it is streamlined. Essentially, tax credits are an easy thing. If you do X, then you receive Y. It is the easiest thing for manufacturers, it is the easiest thing for industry. And the EU is not able to compete with that. So the EU has spent a lot of money recently on a lot of the same areas, but because of the way that we design them in the US and because of the streamlining of them, it is very hard for the EU to compete on that. And, and when you talk about controlling carbon emissions, uh, they certainly have a path forward. They're talking about a carbon border adjustment. They have an emissions trading system. But what we have in the US is we have innovations and we have strong environmental protections. So I would say that when it comes to controlling carbon emissions, what we've seen is that manufacturing in the U.S. is amongst the cleanest in the world and continuing to get better. And then when it comes to enhancing green energy, the IRA is, is unmatched with uh, across the world with what it's able to provide. Well, let's shift a little bit in the questions. That was good to hear. Um, there are huge questions about electricity rates with both the purchase price of generated power and, and the transmission costs. And there have been several stories about the Southeast being a major beneficiary of Biden's industrial policy. You know, the, the differences in electricity costs, for example, Tennessee at the low end of the scale, and then some of the Midwestern states, Ohio, Michigan, for example, at the higher end. Is there any way to rectify that to equalize the playing field? So that's a great question. Generally, when it comes to electricity costs, this is handled by individual utilities who may or may not be set up across different states. And a lot of it, I mean, Tennessee is a great example. Tennessee has the Tennessee Valley Authority. And so a lot of that, you're looking at some low cost hydro, you're looking at low cost nuclear. And when you look at Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, you can have a different service fees for getting the power where they need to. So one thing, it's it's going to be hard to harmonize electricity costs because different things cost differently throughout the rest of the country. What you can do is work on permitting reform and you can make sure that we build the transmission lines where we need them to go. Uh, what concerns me more than electricity cost is potential brownouts, potential blackouts, potential grid failing. And so I think that there's a lot of room to be able to work on these areas and make sure that we have a reliable supply of energy. And it doesn't necessarily get at the electricity cost market, but I think harmonizing that and making sure that throughout the country we have a reliable grid and we have reliable access to clean power is important. Oh, that makes sense. And how important is the fossil fuel baseload electricity generation to the future of U.S. manufacturing 
And should uh, you know our energy policy encourage natural gas as a 20-year transition fuel for base load? Uh, you know, is green hydrogen production possible as a source of sustainable base load without nuclear power generation? So fossil fuels is absolutely critical. Right now, fossil fuels, it's natural gas and coal are 60% of our power generation. And EPA has a proposal out on the power plants that says within 10 years, wholesale, every one of those facilities, either carbon capture or hydrogen or shut down. And when you talk about energy security, you talk about being able to make sure that you're able to manufacture, that you're able to live, all of that is going to be vital. And so when you say within 10 years, manufacturers love hydrogen, manufacturers love carbon capture. But when you say that it has to be deployed at a scale that it's never been deployed before in 10 years or 60% of our power generation has to shut down, that's scary. That's scary. So fossil fuels for, I believe President Biden said, for 10 years, we're absolutely going to need fossil fuels. I would say it's going to be much longer than that, but that's just an example of coming from this administration, them recognizing the essentiality of fossil fuels to provide us. And, and, and when you talk about transition as well, you're going to need that baseload power. Wind power, solar power are wonderful, but the wind's not always blowing. The sun's not always shining. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um can uh, U.S. manufacturers benefit from increased competition in the ownership of electric transmission lines? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, there is, uh, it depends on the structure, but competition can help manufacturers everywhere, up and down the supply chain, up and down the energy supply chain as well. And are we particularly vulnerable to transmission failures at this time? We are. I believe that it's 70% of our grid is over 25 years old. Just taking the piece from Department of Energy recently released a study to be able to meet this administration's goals of electric vehicles. You're going to need charging stations everywhere. You're going to need to improve our transmission 57%. Generally, right now, we go about 1% improvement per year. So that study needs to happen in 10 years. So you're looking at nearly half a century to be able to do what we need to do in 10 years. So yes, we are at great risk right now of grid failures. And that's something that we need to pay a lot of attention to. And it's something that the NAM talks about all of the time when it comes to permit reform is when you talk about permit reform for manufacturing facilities, we've, we've seen some horrendous stories of manufacturing facilities being delayed five years, six years, seven years and being built. We've seen transmission lines take 15 or 20. And when you have to build now and you have to, when you're looking at building semiconductors, you need to make sure that you have the power to build those. Nearly every one of our national goals, you need the power to be able to build it and utilize it. And that's where we're falling behind. Well, and here I thought it was workforce development that was something I needed to, you know, stay awake at night thinking about. This is definitely a priority. Um, so, uh, I know you, you've only been at the NAM for, for four months, um, and what's, what's next on your policy docket in, in the arena, in the energy arena or, uh, any other area in which you have, uh, you know, oversight? So we are one of the unquestioned leaders pushing for permit reform. We thought that the debt ceiling agreement, which 
uh, remedied NEPA, the National Environmental Policy Act. It provided some much needed reforms to that, yet much more needs to be done. You need to talk about judicial reform. What we saw with Mountain Valley Pipeline last week is Congress and the administration said, we need to build Mountain Valley Pipeline. And they put it into the debt ceiling agreement and they expedited it. And then a week later, a court held it up. So we need some judicial reforms. We need to be able to unlock critical minerals. China has already threatened germanium and gallium because they're essential for semiconductors. Most of the critical minerals are extracted and processed outside of the U.S. And we need to develop our own domestic supply chain for those. There's a lot more to be done on permitting reform. And I would also say in the transportation and infrastructure arena, uh, we need the Federal Aviation Administration, that reauthorization to happen. And we need, we're looking for a clean authorization there. Well, you definitely have a lot on your plate, Brandon. Thank you so much for the time. And I hope to bring you back uh, in, the, in another year or so just to see where we are and what else needs to be done. Would love to do that. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.